0: Say everything happens for a reason. The life has its own in over in me, you can only feel the snow. Start to wonder if those flowers gonna grow.
1: Welcome to Be the One.
2: Be the One. It only takes one person to understand. Will you be that one for someone?
1: Original Music Grow is by Kelly Fitzgerald. I'm Erin. And I'm Vonnie. And let's get started.
2: Hi, Trevor. It's great to see you today. I'm happy you're here with us.
1: Good morning, Trevor. It is so great to meet you. Uh, we have never met before. So if you could do me a favor, and I'm sure our audience, and just tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Sure, sure. Um, and thank you for having me. Good morning to, to, to both of you. Um, I'm a uh, senior acquisitions editor at um, William Beardman's Publishing Company here in Grand Rapids. Um, we've been around as a publisher for about um, 100 years. And, um, I, I specialize in biblical studies, have advanced degrees in biblical studies. Um, and at night I work as a narrator for audible.
1: I have never met a narrator for audible before, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little starstruck right now. Um, (laughs) the fact that I can order your books online and listen to them is I think phenomenal. That's awesome. And I have to say also your voice is perfect for narrating books, my life, whatever. That you're you're very kind I um, I'd sort of stumbled into being a narrator, um, which is an interesting story at um, a taco ordering stand. Oh, yeah, that's where most major life things happen. It is
3: it is so I I, I would buy tacos on Tuesday at um, on Taco Tuesdays at a restaurant called Roses where I lived, and all these people would crowd the window. And I was always like, this is very strange. And then one day I pulled up and I ordered my tacos and the, the girl at the, behind the mic left her mic on and I heard her yell out, it's the guy with the voice. <laughs> and I thought, oh, so this is why everyone is coming. And so I thought maybe I should do something with that. So anyway, but that's my that's my night gig. My day gig is um, dealing with authors and dealing you know, with biblical texts, reading Greek, Hebrew, English, you know. You know, fun stuff.
1: Just the, the regular languages that most people speak. Yeah. Well, it is absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal to have you here. And I know because today's topic, you know, while we've kind of joked around a little bit this morning, uh, today's topic is actually very, very serious.
2: So Trevor, I had the privilege of meeting you when I submitted my manuscript to Erdman's and you were the acquisition editor and believed in what I wanted to say and what I wanted to do, and I really appreciate that. Um, But you also have helped me understand so many things about my journey, and one of the things that I was really bothered by personally is the comments that revolve around um, the Bible in terms of having people say to me your husband went to hell for killing himself. Can you expand on that?
3: First of all, let me say I'm um, I'm sorry that you were ever told that and, and the harm that that caused. The Bible, in general, can be used to prove almost anything. Um, but before I go into any more detail of talking about that, um, let me just offer a word for anyone who might be listening on this podcast who has found the podcast by searching Bible or suicide or what does the Bible say about suicide, um, that I would never want someone to listen to a, a snippet or take a sentence out of our conversation and use that um, as a justification for self-harm or or for suicide. And so if if you're listening to this or know someone who's who is wrestling with issues of self-harm, please see a um, mental health expert. In terms of of the Bible and and religion, let me just kind of step back a a little bit. In general, the word suicide does not occur in English translations of the Bible. When it does occur, it's usually as an editorial um, descriptor of content. So for example, the suicide of Judas the disciple of Jesus. That's not in any ancient text. It's just a descriptor of that of that content. Um, as such, it's very hard to use a concordance and find the verses that talk about suicide, right, um, or or self harm. I don't think it will surprise anyone. Um, that the Bible, both the Hebrew Bible, or as Christians like to call it, the Old Testament and the New Testament, talk a lot about death, particularly the, the so-called Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. There's lots of killing. Um, there's killing of one person to another and there are acts of, of self-death. As a child, um, I actually enacted an act of, of self-harm um, in vacation Bible school. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. But I now understand that's what it was. It's this famous story of Samson, who, who pushes pillars apart, and the entire structure comes down, and he kills everyone in the room, including himself. And that's not necessarily presented um, as a bad thing. And this is where the Bible gets kind of complicated, is, is the Bible does not go deep into discussing issues of mental health. And so often moments of self-death or moments of suicide in the Bible are the result of um, losing a, a battle and, and feeling a sense of shame or imminent murder by somebody else or killing by somebody else and so you choose to take your own life. Um, there are sometimes instances of shame where those, where, where those things happen. The Bible does not have the language to really talk about what we understand now about depression, and so I would caution anyone, and I would caution the people who talked to you, Vani, back in the day, or even today, that before they start throwing out a Bible verse um, here or there, um, to be careful, because the Bible really is not saying what people think it says about suicide. I say all that to say is kind of a very, very broad, and we can talk more about this biblical background. It's hard to pull out the Bible verse that, that says you should not kill yourself, because the Bible doesn't have a book on suicide or self-death. Across Christian history, ideas developed. One of the Christian ideas or ideas that Christians have is that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so that you shouldn't harm yourself. Um, Now, that applies to a lot of things, right, food, right, alcohol consumption, other instances of self-harm, and then that gets um, more broadly applied. Um, to a sense of self-care, where particularly the Christian tradition has a tension here is that acts of martyrdom, where people willingly die, are praised and glorified and venerated. And so it's, it's not just a simple, uh, a simple matter of saying the Christian tradition always says you should never harm yourself or never put yourself in harm's way. In fact, um, the story of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, is a story of someone who knows he is going to die and follows the path that's going to lead to his death. Now, what label do you attach to that? Is that? Is that suicide? You know, and that's, you know, people may be shocked by that, but it's something theologians talk about. Is that an act of martyrdom? Is that an act of sacrifice? How do you actually... Describe that. I hope what I've said um, is a bit confusing to the listeners, and that's intentional because the Bible can be confusing, <laughs> and and I, I'm trying to disorient a little bit the the notion that you could just grab this verse or grab that verse and 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 say do this or therefore don't do that. With regard to what you were told specifically, Bonnie, that someone who commits suicide is damned to hell and is there forever. This is a result of theological developments over the centuries, and I'll spare the listeners talking about Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and, and going through kind of the history of that. Um, historically, in Catholic expressions of Christianity, there, there are different types of sins, and suicide um, traditionally falls into being a mortal sin, which is a sin that, that results in a kind of permanent break between the person and God, those doctrines and those ideas have lessened as we've learned more about why people, not for acts of martyrdom or acts of self-sacrifice, but why people take their own life as a result of chemical imbalances in the brain, depression, etc. cetera. The ideas that I think you're hearing from friends or at the supermarket, are sort of echoes and whispers from the past where there was a very unsophisticated notion where a priest would tell people, well, if you, if you kill yourself, you're damned forever, right? It's hard to find any Bible verse that would say that. And it reflects a lack of understanding of depression and, and, and mental illness. And, and so, I mean, cumulatively if I had been in your shoes, Right, and, and that, you've asked me sometimes, like, what would you have said, Trevor? I would have probably begun the following way. I, I I would have said, I would have asked them, "What is hell?" Because Christians themselves don't have a single view of hell, right? It's like we don't all agree that there is, there is a hell, and there's a lot of Christians right now who are actually reconsidering that entire notion. Two, I would push back and say, you know, what biblical verses. Do you have that would demonstrate that, that my husband is spending his life in hell, they're going to struggle <laughs> to come up with that. I would then ask the question, do you know where that idea came from that you just you know, said to me? And then fourth, I, I would say, do you actually understand why people harm themselves? My guess is if you ask those series of questions to someone who said that to you, that's probably a conversation stopper, right, which is a good thing, maybe a friendship ender, I hope not but 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 a way of causing people to kind of stop and think it's just kind of a carelessness around those issues
1: so i I talked a lot, and I don't know if everything I said was clear or i love that I love that you talk about history and the historical perspective of mm-hmm. um, self death you know as you call it. So going back, you had also mentioned like Augustine and Mm -hmm. how earlier in the Bible it could be seen as a good thing or a bad thing dependent. When did that kind of change? When did it become just kind of now it's a bad thing? Where was that inflection point?
3: Right. Um, Some of it it is not fully clear. Um, That is, the, the centuries after the death of Jesus, we don't have a lot of evidence To say, like, what did Christians in the second century think about suicide or self-death or the third century? I mean, one of the clearest expressions um, comes in the fifth century with Augustine, who actually states pretty clearly that acts of self-death are wrong.
1: And where did he get that from? Like, is this just through his thoughts, through his studies?
3: That's a great question. Okay, probably too deep. No, I don't uh, no, 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 It's it's good. I mean, Augustine was a brilliant and complicated thinker who who drew his thoughts um, from his own reading of text, both sacred biblical text as well as other text. He was he was a very very learned person. We don't want to do a whole biography of of, of Augustine, but. He articulates that, and his voice, I mean, people still read Augustine today. Augustine's Confessions is something that that many, many Christians have read or heard ideas from and may not even know about it. Ultimately, well, in the centuries that follow, um, I mean, suicide, as Christian thought, merges with legal practice. I mean, suicide ends up becoming illegal, and there are further developments where sins get categorized. And so you have certain sins, without getting too technical, that damage your relationship with God, but can be forgiven, can be moved beyond. And there are other sins, so-called moral sins, mortal sins that, that separate you from God. And, and suicide was classified in that category. That, of course, is used It has been used for hundreds of years by priests in countries all around the globe to tell people don't commit suicide because there's no chance of redemption. There's no chance of forgiveness. There's no chance of reconciliation. And so it is basically, um, it can be a, a, a fear tactic. Like a
1: deterrent. yeah, a, a
3: deterrent. and and so you will sometimes hear, um, and it's not just Catholics. I mean, sometimes you hear this as well from 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 Protestants at funerals, even people saying things like using the deceased as an example for those in 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 the audience. Um for those who are listening to this podcast, it, it's not my place, or I don't think anyone's place around this table to judge the particular motives of that priest, reverend, pastor, preacher, or the church seminary, you know, that taught them. But that there's a long trajectory that gets them to the place where they can stand in front of a group of grieving people, and and basically threaten those in the audience with a a permanent separation from God based upon what happened to the deceased. And that priest, that preacher, that reverend, that pastor is going to be very hard pressed if you really push them to find these set of Bible verses that are going to prove um, they're going to have to do a complicated move through history, and church teaching, to get to that place. There has been a softening in the Roman Catholic Church, even uh, in terms of how people talk about, treat, and think about suicide and self-death. That's the inevitable result of greater awareness of the chemicals in the brain that cause depression and that lead mm-hmm. to those things. And, and frankly. Thomas Aquinas had no ability, you know, the famous Catholic theologian had no ability to to know what serotonin is or dopamine or Zoloft or, I mean, any of the remedies that exist today. And so I hope um, that there will be increasing awareness among church traditions of emerging science about the brain as people talk about And and treat suicide in pastoral settings, hopefully not in funerals. I mean, I really, I personally don't think that's the place to do that. Um, But also in individual counseling sessions in in church offices and therapy centers.
2: And I, I agree. I mean, and thank you for all of that information. That's really a lot, and it brings a lot of clarity. But I want to go back to the priest and him. You know, at that moment talking and about. Um, in front of whether it's his congregation or if it is at a funeral of someone, the meaning and the intention is what I'm understanding is that this is to prevent other people from taking their own life. So if this priest is saying you are going to be condemned if you do this, that's maybe possibly keeping someone alive. But for those that have loss... And for those that have pain and are struggling, that's a really hard concept to swallow because we're the ones sitting there, well, I guess my husband didn't go to heaven then because he did do that. So, so how do we change these attitudes and these beliefs if there's no real Bible verse? There's nothing really that backs this theory.
3: I mean, I think there are two ways that that you can kind of, well, three ways maybe you can go at that. One, you can push back on anyone on the doctrine of hell. It's kind of public knowledge at this point that Christians are in, in a season of various traditions of reassessing the historic doctrine of hell. Not all people who sit in A church on a Sunday morning or consider themselves faithful Christians believe in hell. Um, There are very popular Christian authors such as Rob Bell who have raised deep questions about whether or not there is eternal separation from God. Um, There's more sophisticated. Just recently, a book was published by David Bentley Hart, which raises questions about the idea of the eternal separation um, from God. And hell itself is not a static idea across history or even across the pages of the Bible. So this is still in this first answer that you could give to someone who says, you know, if they say to you, Vani, your husband, you know, is in hell in terms of the history of that idea. If you look in the Old Testament um, or Hebrew Bible, they don't believe in hell. It, it's a different time in a different world. And, and so that's not even a night nice concept. You, everyone dies and lives kind of this shadowy existence under the world, uh, underneath the world, which are similar ideas that you get in Homer and other Greek literature. As the Bible moves progressively um, towards the period of Jesus, more traditional ideas of hell develop, and then they get more and more and more developed over time. I mean, it's not, it's not like in the year 200, the idea of hell just froze in time and it's been unchanged. So to the person who would say that to you, priest or just lay person, I would first say you could really push them on on, on what hell is. The second thing is you could really push them about the biblical story, right? It's not just um, Samson, King Saul, famous King Saul, the the enemy of David, ends his life by self-death, right? as I said, Jesus chooses. So you have kind of the biblical portion. Jesus chooses to die. I mean, he he goes there. And um, the third one, like just the third one is just the counseling pushback. And that anytime someone says my religion or my Bible or my Quran or or my Torah, whatever it is, says X, I think anyone in the year 2020 is completely justified to say, okay? I hear what you're saying. How does that align with modern science understanding of the brain, developments in mental health? Because making an historical claim and saying that's universally true for all time is problematic because our understanding changes. And and so The other thing you could say back to them is, someone says to you, Vonnie, so-and-so is in hell for killing themselves, right? You could ask, where did the idea of hell come from? Do you really believe in hell? Is that the only thing that causes one to go to hell? Can you go to the Bible and demonstrate all of this? And is that even right? I mean, is that what a doctor would say? Is that what a mental health expert would say? Is that how they would understand suicide? And so I I think part of what you have done is that by creating these conversations, I mean, the, the movement is called I Understand. So you're trying to create understanding is to push questions back on the person. What exactly are you getting at? Do you even understand mental health? Do you understand how you, questioner of me, are using the Bible, are using religion, are using, whatever text to harm someone, but you were going to say something else. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I want to, I'm curious about Samson. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about Samson and self-death. How was that perceived in the Bible after his death?
3: Right. And, and so it, it, it's, it's a bit tricky because, um, in, in the case of Samson, he, he ends his life and ends the lives of lots of other people in the building he's in he has super strength in the biblical story and he pushes pillars which causes the entire building to come crumbling down this this thing that i that i've i've mentioned that i enacted as a child in vacation bible school and and because in the world of the bible in that story the people in that room with him in that building are are foes and not friends it, it's, it's valorized. I mean, it, it's viewed as what a great act of sacrifice, right? Because giving his own life for, you know, to get rid of these other people, this will seem kind of off topic, but it's perfectly related. Um, the movie Independence Day, it, it, the famous Will Smith film, and the end of that film ends with um, the hero is this Russell character. <laughs> who gives of his own life, right, to save other people, right? And, and that's the big, you know, he blows up the ship because he flies his plane into it. And, and there are countless examples of this in film and, and culture. I mean, even in war, you think about kamikaze pilots, right, who use planes in themselves or their bodies, or even today we call them suicide bombers, Right, well, I mean, you attach the word suicide to that, and then that immediately takes a negative connotation for some people. But for the family of that person, or the the person that, or the people that led that individual to walk into the supermarket, or the store, or the restaurant, or the mosque, or the church to pull themselves up, they may be an ultimate martyr. I say that in regard to Samson, and that it's complicated when someone chooses to engage in an act of self death. The biblical text does not talk about the modern phenomenon of someone who struggles with deep, what we would call mental illness, and then chooses to take their life. Um, it's, the, the only exception to that might be Judas, which is the famous suicide that that so many people talk about in the Bible. What, what, what's unclear is why... as it's presented in the Gospel of Matthew, why Judas takes his life. Is he battling with depression? Or is he overridden with shame and guilt for handing over um, his friend and his teacher Jesus, the reason for that?
2: In the Bible, um, someone that does perform self-harm in terms of a heroic act is okay. And then when we look at suicide today as an individual who, as we believe, is suffering from some type of pain, that's where this misconception comes in. So coming to today, and we look at, you mentioned, um, I understand, Mm -hmm. and our belief. And our belief is passionate about changing the definition of suicide to modernize it, to take away the stigmatized old version mm-hmm. of one who intentionally kills himself to a side effect of an illness or pain, mm-hmm. which I believe, and this is where I'd like your feedback is, I, I believe that by just changing that definition, we can change these thoughts and these feelings of people mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, your husband went to hell for killing himself because it's not an intent, right? it's a side effect of an illness or pain that somebody is struggling with.
3: Yeah, no, um, I I I think that's right, um, and I, of course, agree with your understanding. I would hate, and I think you would hate, um, for someone to take a story of self death in the Bible and use that as justification, right? Because there's there's different worlds and different contexts um, for those kinds of things. Um, we have to be careful, because even in today's military, if you know, if if I'm imagine I'm in the military and I'm with a group of soldiers and someone throws a hand grenade into our bunker and I, and I willingly jump on that grenade, cover that grenade, suffer the full impact of that resulting in the end of my life. That's an act of self death. Well, we award medals for that. And so I I do think we need to separate out instances where someone does something to save protect help other people and the person who is deeply deeply struggling with that religion can wield a powerful um knife of shame um frankly for the depressed person right i mean the we don't have to go through them all in this podcast but there are lots of cliches about how a happy, contented person should live their life, which don't always get at the reality of emotions um, and, and the experiences that people have. It's it's February in Michigan, right? Pretty much everybody I know right now is feeling a little blue. We, we don't have a lot of sunshine, <laughs> and people are a little more grumpy, and these are stereotypes, but but they're there. and. I think rather than saying "cheer up," or I mean that we, we can give each other a little grace, and I, I don't think in general uh, assuming everybody has to be happy all the time is helpful. I certainly don't think attaching religion to it, saying something like "cheer up, you're a child of God," well, is that really going to help? I mean, it, it's it, it's an attempt to alter a paradigm, but pushing that further and then somehow saying something is wrong with you right? That you need to try harder, you need to think better, um, because you're, you're suffering from depression and using the Bible or religion or culture or whatever, that doesn't help the person. I mean, in, in that, in that moment, that person doesn't need cliches. They need understanding Mm -hmm. and, and they need mental health experts, Mm -hmm. um, who can help them. And, I think we are moving away from um, the shame that used to attend to people taking drugs, you know, um, prescription drugs, you know, for, for mental health. And I hope that continues. Religion at its best should not attach shame or guilt or anxiety to mental health crises. It, it, it should be an agent of understanding, compassion, and information to get people in contact with those who can help them. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that, and it really goes to what what we believe: love heals judgment and angst hurt. So thank you so much. I mean, we have so much information here today that is very meaningful. You have helped me tremendously. I'm sure that, Aaron, you've learned something new today too.
1: Oh, I, I absolutely have, just as a, a child of religion and having sorted through that for the entirety of my life. In fact, you know, going back to, to religion, and this is just very brief before we, we end here, but just going back to the religion as... A source of shame. For me, it was so long a source of shame. And I think that's actually part of where my depression sprang from. And that's a whole nother podcast, maybe like religious abuse and self-inflicted religious abuse. But Trevor, thank you so much. Uh, I think, you know, I speak for Vani and myself and probably the audience, you brought a level of clarity and understanding that I don't think uh, many other people could have really, really given us. So thank you for that.
3: I, it's been my pleasure. And just, and again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'll say again now to anyone who's, you know, didn't catch the first part of this. If, if you're wrestling with issues of self-harm or mental health, or you know someone who is, um, please don't grab a Bible verse or a religious cliche, but seek the mental help um, and, and the help from the professionals that, that
1: you need and is available to you, you matter. Well, again, thank you so much. Remember, please be the one to understand that love heals. I'm Erin. And I'm Vani. And we'll see you next week.
2: If you are struggling and need someone to talk to, remember that help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK. And also, you can text GO to 741741. 741
0: Say everything happens for a reason but Life has its own seasons In the winter you can only feel the snow Start to wonder if those flowers gonna grow